welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. So, um, what I wanted to talk about today is actually a topic that I'm very passionate about um, and I have been very passionate about, but the Lord's just really reframed it for me in the last little while. And we've been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks about culture, about changing the culture that we live in and what that looks like and that for us to be able to see any difference in the world and in what we do, we actually have to change the culture in which we're, in a sense, sowing our seeds of, um, into. And I'm a very practical person when it comes to things like this. I'm like, okay, cool. That's great. Practically, like, what does that look like? What do I need to do about it? What, give me steps, you know, <laughs> let me do this. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, I mean, the su- some of the suggested questions that we've said, like, to discuss in your groups afterwards, one of them is, what am I going to do about it? So you listen to a message and, you, and to take that question, what am I going to do about it afterwards? I think it's such an important one because otherwise what happens is we're like, that is absolutely true, that's so good, and then we leave. <laughs> and then we come back next Sunday and agree again and leave, and then we agree and agree and agree. But it's like, okay, well, how do we implement this? What do we do about it? Um, and I think that there's two things. When we're talking about changing culture and what does that look like, I think there's two things that can happen. One is that we, we leave and we go, yes, culture needs to change. Somebody needs to get on that. You know, like yeah, the government needs to do something. Or, you know, the church needs to do something. Or, you know, the people with money, they need to do something. This organization needs to do something. But if you actually look down at it, I mean, and that's true. Everyone needs to do something. But... That's not going to help you. And actually, the Bible calls us that it's your job to look after the widows and the orphans. It's our job to do that. It's our job to go out and do these things. And it's actually personal. And to change culture, you have to take it on personally. What can I do? Um, That's the one thing. The other thing that we can do is sometimes we go, oh, my goodness, you know, I need to change. I need to find somewhere. And you uproot your whole life and you go and find a problem area that you think and you plonk your whole life down there and you start working there but the Lord started speaking to me that about Nehemiah in the Bible and how he built the wall of Jerusalem everyone built the wall that was in front of their house and um what happened was you know the the enemies attacking they were trying to rebuild this wall and every time they started to build the wall the enemies of Jerusalem they would come and they would attack and the wall would fall down and they'd carry on building it up and they'd come and they'd knock it down But how they successfully got the wall up in record time was they said, okay, the house of this is going to build in front of their house. This house is going to build in front of their house. And everyone took responsibility for the wall that was in front of their house. Um, And what we we, we can't do is sit down and be like, someone needs to rebuild that wall because the enemy is getting in. The other thing you can't do is abandon your section of wall. And, you know, you can see someone gets radically saved and they drop their amazing lawyer tools and they run over to the church and they're like, I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to get involved in the ministry. They start building and then you've got 20 pastors vying for bricks and trying to build up one thing. And then the enemy gets in through the law space and you wonder like, hey, how did that happen? You're responsible for the wall that's in front of your house. And your life actually touches so many other lives around you every single day. Not just in your workspace, your colleagues, but actually just the people you pass in the street. That's, that's a brick in your wall. That's someone that your life has actually touched. That you have an opportunity to, to reach. Even if it's simply just to smile at them. The most important 
thing, the most important wall that you can build is the one that's right in front of your house. And the reality is, is that actually we were meant to change the world. You know, you can look, oh, the world needs to change, but you're meant to, and you actually have it in you because we were called to change the world. It says that the greatest, God's greatest commission, it says this is the great commission in Matthew 28. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age. That's the greatest, the the great commission was all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. That's it. It's like all authority has been given to me and now I'm sending you out. And that is the greatest commission. And the other time Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, he says this in Matthew 10, 7 to 9. He says, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You have received without paying, give without pay. That's our commission. That's what God's told us to do. And it's as you go. It's as you go about your day. Um, You know, you have been sent out the minute you said yes to Jesus you've been sent out to do something and your life means something and you've been put here for a reason and um it's as you go that we do this and what the Lord challenged me on this was that this was Jesus's greatest commission to me is it my greatest commission to myself or does it come in sixth in line or you know is this when I wake up in the morning is this my greatest commission is to bring the kingdom of God in my life and to build a wall in front of my life because oftentimes oh, it comes in sixth you know I've got some work things I've got to do I've got to cook supper I got you know all these things that are on the forefront but this is what Jesus said hey this is most important to me this is most important and is that most important actually to me Jessica, is this actually most important to me? Um, and you know, what are the commissions in my life that are actually taking precedent over this one? Um, and what I realized is the good news about that whole big challenge. You know, the Lord said that, and I was like, okay. <laughs> but the good news is he said, you know, you're equipped, you're called, and you've been sent the Holy Spirit. You are fully prepared for this. God doesn't send you into a battle that he does not prepare, equip, and give you weapons and um, give you the bravery and give you everything you need inside your heart to do. He doesn't do that. That's not in his character to do. Um, One of the things that uh, there's, one thing the Lord told me about a while ago, I was reading through, um, I was reading through my Bible and it was when the Israelites were sent out of Egypt. And what you don't realize is, it shouldn't have taken them that many years to get to the promised land. If you look at um, Jesus and his family, it took them like three days trip to, to, to Egypt, but the Israelites were running around for decades. And, the, and it says that um, they couldn't go straight because to go straight, there were certain warring tribes and people in the way to get to the promised land. And the Israelites, because they were coming out of slavery they didn't have what was in them to overcome those giants and the Lord took them throughout in the desert because then they became the kind of people that then overcame those giants overcame those people and he brought them to a battle that they could win but he knew who they were beforehand so he took them around another way because he knew you're not going to be able to win this battle right now so I'm going to turn you into the person who can I'm going to equip you for this battle and the Lord said I will never send you into a battle that you are not equipped for and that you're not able to win 
And you have to also keep that. Like when God gives you a commission, he's also equipped you for it and he's given you things in order to be able to get there. Um, my favorite place, if I ever feel like, you maybe I need, I need a little bit of equipping, my favorite place to go to is Ephesians. And I mean, just the, I think it's verse three. It's straight out of the gate. It says, blessed be God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not some, not a couple, not what you need, every spiritual blessing. I remember reading that and being like, hectic. That's great. I feel good about that. Um, Because what could you do if you really understood that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing? You're so equipped. It goes on in verse 7 to say, In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What struck me about that was he gave us these gifts by his grace, not by who we are and all of this stuff, but he also gave it in all insight. So he knew who you were. He knew what you've done. He knew everything that disqualifies you from this. He knew about it all. And he's like, hey, you know what, sometimes I feel like he's like, you know, I see Jessica. I see those things too. You know, we're going to need to lavish some grace over there. But he did. And then he still blessed you with every spiritual blessing. So he knows who you are. And it's not about you. It's actually about him. Um, There's nothing about you that disqualifies you from this commission. Because in all insight, he gave you and equipped you and he sent you out. Um, He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows everything about you. And he still blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And he still called you and he still sent you out. Um, I mean, it goes on to say, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, Um, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's our culture. That's his design for it. And he said, this is for you. This is your commission. Um, So he's blessed you. He's called you. He knows where you're at. And he's revealed his plan for the world with you. Um, I'm actually going to read a little bit further on in in that passage because it's really powerful. It says that, It says that the God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, that he, when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every other name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Does that not give you courage? Like, this is our God. This is our God, and he says that he's given us an inheritance. He says, uh, he says that, uh, that our eyes are, our hearts of our, the hearts of our eyes, <laughs> the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. Then he says, all power, all dominion, all of these things are under my feet, and you're with me, and those are under you because you're with me. And if that doesn't give you courage to be able to actually go out and build your wall, I mean, I don't think, I don't know what else could. <laughs> um, 
this week I was reading in Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. There's a life that's been assigned to you and you've been called to this life. But it goes on to say, which is very interesting to me, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So brothers, in whatever condition we were called, there let him remain with God. You don't have to add or subtract anything to start. Like, trust me, Jesus will start adding and subtracting and you won't remain where you are when you start journeying with the Lord. But you don't have to be something or add something or do anything to your life to enable you to start doing that. You don't have to disqualify yourself. Um, it's um, that thing that we have to fix something first. Like, okay, Lord, I just, you know, I need to fix this first and then I will follow you and then I'm going to do that. Or in a sense, you have to skill up first. You have to first, like, before I can pray for someone, I just need to do another couple things. I got to just do that. Because, again, it's not about you. It's actually about him. All he needs from you is your yes. He just needs you in the condition that you are. You don't need to add or subtract anything. You can go and do that. Because when you say, okay, well, first, Lord, let me go and do this. Let me fix this. Or first, let me skill up in that. You're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. I need to help you out. <laughs> I need to be something for you to use me. It's like um, what Tendai was preaching on last week. It's Jesus light. Like, okay, Jesus, you're not quite enough, but he is enough. And it's his transforming power. So you don't have to transform your life. Because the reality is you actually can't. The reality is you'll never really be good enough. But that's the beauty of his grace, which is lavished upon us, is that actually he's enough and he's transforming us. Um, you know, when Peter stepped out of the boat, and it also, Peter stepped out of the boat not on calm seas. It was on a storm. Like, if there's anything that you'd be in the middle of the boat, underneath a seat, holding on for dear life, that would be it. But the Lord said, swing a leg over, come for a, you want to go for a walk? And, he, you know, Jesus, Peter wasn't like, you know, um, I haven't had any walking on water lessons. Uh, you know, Jesus, Peter wasn't on the shore, a little while then, like, practicing in the shallows. He wasn't doing that. There was a storm. They said they were going to die. Jesus said, get out of the boat. And Peter got out of the boat. So if you get into a, a situation and you're there and you're like, this is a storm, I think I might die. I've never done that before. I didn't even know that that was a thing. And the Lord says, get out of the boat. Are you going to get out of the boat? Because you'll find that if Jesus says, get out of the boat, that even in a storm, you can walk on water. Um, I was thinking of, um, some of you know Michaela's story when the, she was in the Uber and the Lord told her, hey, what, pray, for, pray for your Uber driver or get, ask him if he knows me. And Michaela said, she said to the Lord, she said, I am not that girl. I'm not that girl yet. I'm just not that girl. But the Lord kept on. You know how the Lord is? And you're sitting there like, stop, stop it. I'm not, I'm not going to shush. She said she did. And she asked him and she prayed and she prophesied over him. And he was blessed. And it came things. This is a long story short. If you want to read it, it's in the testimony book at the back. But... Um, she got out of the car and she walked out and she said to the Lord, I am that girl. I am that girl. And it's this, she was always that girl. It just takes stepping out of the boat and you realize, you know, you are that girl. You are that guy. Um, so we know we've been called. We know we've been equipped. We know that it's not about us. We know we're called to change the world in front of us. We know we're called to 
heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons. We know this. We know this is our greatest commission. And we're also being called to live life bigger and more beautiful than, um, than sometimes what we even give ourselves leave to. Like, to laugh bigger, to love bigger, to actually just see colors more, to expand those kind of rights. Life is good. It's meant to be beautiful. Um, so my question today is like what stops us and what holds us back? Um, what makes you, in some senses, a little scared to walk up to someone and say, hey, can I pray for you? <laughs> see someone with a limp. My, my family and I, we have this thing where when the Lord started moving and we'd see someone that we have a cane or something, we'd see them and, you know, you're just like, oh. <laughs> and we had this thing that we started doing going, just to go, Beep, 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 beep. And he says, like, you know, like a metal detector if you go past something and starts picking it up. And it was just this way to acknowledge, like, we see it. Do you see it? Should we? I don't want to. Do you want to? Oh, yeah, we should probably pray for them, but I'm really scared to. So we made this thing of, like, beep, 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 So why is that? Like, why are we afraid? And um, this is the analogy that I've had. It's what I call the chicken line. So you've got a chicken line like this. This is my chicken line. On this side is my comfort zone. Very happy, very dignified here. People think well of me on this side. Then I have the chicken line. And then to step over that, that's scary because who knows what's going to happen on that side. Kind of stepping out of the boat, you know. But on the other side of the chicken line is, is freedom. That's what's on the other end of your chicken line. And the, the, the chicken line and what makes stepping over your chicken line scary is actually what do people think of me? Like, if I ask someone in, in, the, in the restaurant, hey, what's your name? Oh, that's cool. Hey, I'm a Christian, and I would just really like to pray for you. Would you be comfortable with that? Why is that so scary? It's because I'm scared of what that person's going to think. Why am I scared to actually say something about the Lord or actually witness to someone and say, this is actually what I believe. This is what's right. It's because I'm scared of what they're going to say. I'm scared of what people are going to think of me. Most of the time, what <coughs> stops us from stepping over the chicken line is like I might look silly. I might, look, I might look ridiculous. I might fail, actually. This might fail. And um, it's fear of man. It's fear of man. And is that a good enough reason? That's what's been really challenging. And this is, I'm really speaking to myself. This has been my journey for the last little while. This is, a, and I always seem to preach directly out of my journal. So I used to think of, is that a good enough reason? Because when our fear of man becomes greater than our fear of God, we've got a problem. Like, that's a problem. Um, and I know that my, I have that. I'll be like, you know, I love you, but I don't want to. And um, that's a problem. When my fear of man becomes greater than my fear of God and what he's called me and what he's equipped me for and what he said is his greatest commission, that's a problem. Um, this is my example that I've thought of. If I put on your favorite song in the whole world, I put your favorite song on right now, could you get up and dance to it the same way that you do if it comes on when you're by yourself in your bedroom? <laughs> could you do it? <laughs> and the question is why? And I realize I'm letting strangers steal joy from me. I'm letting them see it because, like, so what? I mean, Hyde and I were in the shops the other day and we had a really good song come on and then we were shopping for jeans. We were like, 
<laughs> and we had like, we were like, you know what? No, we're going to go after this fear of man thing. Because if you face it in one area of your life, you're going to face it in all areas of your life. So if you can dance in woolies, you can probably pray for your waiter. Because it's the same enemy. Um, how much of life do you miss out on because you're afraid of what people think of you? Like, how much life do you miss out on? We, um, we have this thing in our family because we, we've tried to intentionally go after this and make this a fight that we've picked. Um, and uh, we have this thing called catching funds. And <laughs> we have this thing called catching funds where we'll be like, okay, do you see? Do you see there, we're at the top of a grassy hill, let's say. Do you see there's a fun at the bottom of this hill and you can only get it if you roll down it. <laughs> and this is the way you're going to catch this fun. And then we're in the, we're in the shops and there was a dance, like, there was a song coming on, we're like, okay, there's a fun to be caught if you can dance at this thing. We started developing a culture like this. We were driving one day at Christmas time and we had, this, we had our windows down, we had our, um, our Christmas carols blasting out the window and we had a really fun and my dad just pulls the car over he's like okay turn the volume up we're gonna dance on the pavement and he's just like mm, okay um, <laughs> okay but then I was like you know what that sounds like fun what am I afraid of and so you know what we piled out of the car and we danced on the pavement it was and it was the most fun and since then that's become a tradition that's what we do every year if you come on Christmas Eve and you drive around Pinelands you're gonna find us dancing somewhere <laughs> We drive around, we listen to <laughs> absolutely. We drive around, and um, our news, usual spot is we've got like a big traffic circle just down from our house. And we drive up onto the, the circle, doors open, turn it up, and then we get out and we dance. And the one day we're sitting there and we see the security vehicle coming down the road. We look at it. <laughs> but he comes by and I'm expecting to be like, excuse me, like what are you doing? Like your music is too loud. But he went and goes, goes off. like, Merry Christmas! and you realize, you know how little people act people care about you a lot less than you think they do. If you if you saw someone on the side of the road with headphones on having a dance, are you gonna be like, what a nutcase? Or are you gonna be like, good for him? I wish I could be that free. You know, we think of that to people, but we don't think they're thinking that of us. Um, and the other thing is, is like doing things like that, singing in your car, smiling at a stranger, um, having a, a crazy little dance party by yourself somewhere, you know, singing in the kitchen. Does that you know, affect your spiritual life? Yeah, it actually really does. And I'll tell you why. Because it's fun and you enjoyed life and life is a gift and God gave you life, and he gave you the opportunity to really enjoy it. And if you've ever given someone a gift, and you see them enjoying it, does that not make you the most happy? That's why you gave it to them. You know, if you give someone something, and they're like, oh, this is lovely. I'm going to put it in my cupboard. I'm just going to leave it there. It's be- no, it's beautiful. And you're like, it's a bike! Ride it! You know? <laughs> um, don't sit there, don't watch YouTube videos on how to ride a bike. Don't, you know, do all of these things. Get on the bike and ride it. That's what it's meant to be. So you know what, when you do sing really loud, when you have a really lovely coffee with a friend of yours, when you watch a sunset, when you listen to a song, these are all actually part of what God has given you to enjoy. And the limits that you put on your life are actually not limits there by God. They're limits that you've put there yourself. And... 
John 10.10 says, I have come so that they may have life, life in its fullest measure. In the Amplified, it says, in abundance to the full until it overflows. Another translation that I love says, until you overflow. And I love that. Um, my testimony is like, as a, I used to be a professional ballet dancer, and as a, as a ballet dancer, everything is down to a T. Everything is in the pursuit of excellence. My teacher, when I was about 12, 13, when I started training towards being a professional dancer, she said, I just want to let you know that you will spend your whole life striving for perfection, and you will never, ever get it. She's like, you need to have that expectation right on. Your exam will come up. No one has ever in the history of ballet ever got 100%. Ever, 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 ever. It is absolutely impossible. But you're going to always spend your whole life trying to get 100% and everyone will expect 100% of you. That's the name of the game. So the pursuit of excellence for me has always been a constant companion. It's always been really drilled into me and that's a good thing. But there comes a line where the pursuit of excellence ceases to be a driving force and actually becomes a limitation. It really does. Um, because you have this thing of like, I'm only going to do something if I'm good at it. And that puts a huge limitation on your life. It puts a huge limitation of what, of what you do. I remember um, standing in the wings backstage and I was like young in the company and I was like a big production and I remember being like, I am terrified. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. And I saw our prima ballerina come out and I was like, you know, one day, this is why I'm scared. It's like, you know, I'm just, I'm new. I haven't quite found my feet yet. When I'm more skilled, I'm going to be more confident, I'll be chilled, I'll be able to just go on and dance. Come to find out a couple years later that our prima ballerina, the one that would fill the whole, like thousands of seats in an auditorium, she would occasionally actually have a panic attack before she went on because she was so nervous about getting on. And I remember standing in the wings and hearing this and just being like, it's not about my skill. The enemy is not my skill. She is facing the same enemy that I'm facing, which is the same enemy that if I told my dad to get up on that stage, he'd be facing it too. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same enemy. It's got nothing to do with ability. It's the same enemy that stops me from praying for someone on the street. It's the same enemy that stops me from sharing the gospel. It's the same thing. It's the fear of man. And you cannot wait until you're perfect at something because you can work and work and work and work and work at something and you'll find this is still the same thing. It's like climbing a ladder and getting to the top and realizing the ladder's been up against the wrong wall the whole time. So I, I saw her, I saw me, and I realized that's the wrong wall. I need to get over my fear of man to be able to, to walk this out. Um, we have to let go of the idea that we will only do something if we're good at it. Because, um, I heard this quote and it said, if you only do what you can do, you'll never be better than you are. It, even if you think about it, um, um, if you're going to go to the gym and you're going to go and work out or do something like that, if you stay with just what you, with what you can do, you're not going to get fitter. I'll, um, our trainer used to train us and she said, you're going to jump until you feel like you can't jump anymore, do a certain jump. She said, after you get there, you're going to do 10 more. And that's how you're going to get fitter. She also said that how to get our legs up higher. She'd be like, I want this much, literally this much more than yesterday. This much more. And the next day I want this much more. Next day I want this much more. And that's how you got your legs up higher. You have to push until you're a little uncomfortable to be able to grow. And what happens is you've got your chicken line, you've got your comfort zone, and you just, you just have to push it that little bit. 
you know you don't have to like dive all the way up i mean like you can if you want to it would be great but you just have to push it that much and then you'll find your comfort zone has expanded and then you push it a little more and it's expanded and then before you know it you're actually walking and walking and walking your comfort zone is going bigger and bigger and bigger you're pushing it further and further and further and look how big your freedom has actually got because you said i'm I'm intentionally going to make myself a little bit uncomfortable because I've picked this fight and I'm going to defeat this enemy. Um, if we want more of God, we have to pursue. And if you look up pursue in the dictionary, it means to go after, run after, follow, give chase to, hunt, stalk, track, trail, trace, shadow. None of these words mean sit still. None of them mean sit down and do, and do nothing. They're all are intentional they're moving forward they're like i see you i want you and i'm gonna go after that um robert f kennedy said only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly because where if you fail it's not fatal you pick yourself up and you just go again like if you just take a moment right now to close your eyes and imagine what would your life look like if you were a hundred times more brave or braver and more free. What would your life look like? What would it look like? And are you not at your greatest when you are confident in yourself and unafraid of trying and failing? Like, are you not at your greatest when you're like, I can do this, and if I fail, it's okay. I'll, I can do it again. It's not going to hurt me. If you fail, you're still a powerful person and you lose no worth because your worth is not in your performance. Your worth is in who you are as a person and that doesn't change. It's in God who never changes, never will, and actually literally thinks you to die for. I wanted to actually read this story and I think most people know it, but I just found it so powerful. Thomas Edison is undoubtedly one of the most prolific inventors of our lifetime. He has 1,093 um, patents under his name, which includes the phonograph, the motion picture cam- uh, camera, and his most significant, the light bulb. But his light bulb invention wasn't an instant success. He failed a lot. Edison tried 2,000 different materials in search of a filament for his light bulb. When none worked satisfactorily, his assistant complained, all our work is in vain. We have learned nothing. Edison replied very confidently, Oh, we've come a long way and we've learned a lot. We now know that there are 2,000 elements which we cannot use to make an iron or make a light bulb. <laughs> Thomas Edison's teachers said, did you know, that they, Edison's teachers said that he was too stupid to learn anything. He was fired from his first two jobs for being non-productive. As an inventor, um, Edison made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts of inventing the light bulb. So we're going to add that to the 2,000 filaments, but 1,000 attempts of inventing the light bulb. When a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail 1,000 times? Edison replied, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. So what if you could face your failures like this? What if you went up to someone, let's just go worst case scenario. Hi, excuse me, I've got a word for you. I just feel like, does that make any sense to you? Absolutely not. (laughs) I just feel like your name is uh, is Jill. Is that right? And here, I'm Steve. Okay, like, (laughs) you can either be like, oh, I failed. I'm like, or you can be like, amazing. 999 to go. You know, let's go. What if you just kept going, like, this is actually, you just take another step. Um, 
I don't think I would even be sharing if I didn't share some story about David because everyone knows David's my, my Bible hero. Um, and my favorite story about him was when he was coming into Jerusalem and the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into Jerusalem. And you don't understand what an amazing moment that is. We got the Holy Spirit with us all the time. This may have been a once-in-a-lifetime shot for so many people to be in the very presence of God that was reserved just for the high priest. And it was coming in, and it was a huge deal. And there was the King of Israel out in the front, dancing and celebrating before the Lord. And we know for an absolute fact that he was not looking good doing it. Because his wife, the very person who's supposed to be the most supportive, and be like, you know, I could see the passion, darling. And that was the... No, she was like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. Please stop. Like, please never do that again. You were... That was terrible. Um, and what David said was, he said, it was before the Lord that I danced. And I will celebrate the, before the Lord. And I will make myself even more undignified and contemptible than this. And I think in some our generation needs to be a generation of people that will actually stand up for what's right, no matter what, will do the right thing, will say this and say, you know what, and I will make myself even more undignified than this because it's before the Lord that I live, not before people. And it's a thing of like, and I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will do this because it's before the Lord that I danced, not before them. Um, to actually take a stand. We cannot be afraid of the pressures of people, especially now, especially in this time in history. We actually have to be able to say, I'm living before the Lord, and if I'd look undignified, so be it. That's not my intention. That's not my, that's not my goal, is to live like that before just people. Um, we're not going to let fear steal that from us. And the one thing that I actually have found is it's not as scary as you think. When I started doing our one person a week challenge, it wasn't even necessarily about the people. It was actually about, we need to grow this in our lives. We want to be able to go out and pray for people. We want to be able to share the gospel. We want to be able to grow this in our lives. And to do that, we need to be able to intentionally step out the boat. And what we found is the more we did it, the more you realize, hey, this is like, in my head, people are going to be like, no, you can't pray for me. What are you thinking? Most people are like, you want to pray for me? Thank you. I would love that. It was completely opposite to what I thought was going to happen. Um, again, like, he came so that we may have life and life to its full. So you were born for more, and you won't get more by sitting in your comfort zone. And wouldn't you like to be in a place that you're free enough to enjoy the life that God has given you? Um, the saying, dance like no one is watching, has always irritated me a little bit because it still insinuates that I will, my level of, I'm using dancing as a, as a picture. But it means that how I dance is still determined by who's watching and how they're doing and what's going on here. You know, it's like, dance like no one's watching. Okay, so when no one's watching, I dance like this. But when people are watching, I dance like this. Or when people are watching, I live like this. People, when people aren't watching, I live like this. Um, it should be that when people are watching, I dance anyway because how I live is not dependent on who's watching or what they think of me. It's on God. He defines me and he is Lord. So my challenge for you is to live bigger and to intentionally go after that, that um, fear of, of, of failure or fear of, um, fear of man. And to look for areas in your life to stare down that enemy. Look for places in your life where you can do that. Um, 
like I said, I always preach out of my journal. I myself am a recovering people pleaser. Um, <laughs> I'm on the road. <laughs> but the reality is you are enough. God created you to be you. With all the measuring that you have, God wouldn't create something limited. You're only limited by the limits you put on yourself. You're equipped. You're called. You're fully known. And you're fully loved. And in him, you are enough. You're enough to start. So let's not sit tight where we are. Let's be more. You were born for more. And if there's one thing that I would want to leave you with today, it would be this. He is our life giver, and he's given us life in abundance. And you have permission from the Lord. I was praying, I was like, Lord, what do you want to say? And he's like, I just feel like, you know, like you, there's permission for you to dance and to sing and to laugh loud and to smile really big and to, you know, grab life and really live it in all the color that it was meant to be lived in. Um, and to kind of be, what is, what is the, the P lives that my life is touching? Whether it be the person you pass on the street, whether it be the colleagues at your work, the, the coffee shop that you go to, the neighbor next door, your life touches people and that's the life you've been called to and that's the wall that's in front of your house. And it's each and every one of us build that wall completely unafraid of people and completely in love with Jesus. That's how practically we're actually going to change culture. If we take the responsibility onto ourselves, not for the whole world. You don't have to build the whole wall. You just have to build that section that your life touches, the bit that the Lord has called you to. So I want us all to just take a moment with the Lord and ask him, what is the wall in front of my house? Um, ask him, maybe he'll bring some faces to, to your mind. Maybe he'll give you some situations or even hypothetical situations of what you can do and where he is. Just ask the Lord, what is the wall in front of my house? Where, what do I need to build? Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit nigelanddebbie.org.